This is a sermon brought to you by Good News Bible Church, where we believe we should love God, love others, and make disciples. We are located in Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood and invite you to join our family live every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. as we praise and worship with songs and learn about God through the study of the Bible. You can visit our website at goodnewschi.org. That's goodnewschi.org. Let's turn now to hear what the Word of God has for us this week. Relationships with their teachers. So I just want to shout that out. Let's go ahead and pray and ready ourselves for the hearing of God's Word, the preaching of God's Word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day, for this great morning. Lord, I thank you specifically for having our sister uh, Joyce, Josie uh, just join them up, up to here and sing. Lord, I just thank you for that. Lord, I just remember all the times when I was... Uh, Lord, when I was cleaning the floors right before the Saturday before Sunday, and sometimes got to hear them practice, Lord, I praise you for that. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless our times, our time here as we receive your word, as your word is preached. We pray, Lord, that you would give me clarity, Lord, and that you would give us the opportunity to have ears that are listening and hearts that are ready to obey. We pray for our children, the same thing of them, that they be able to hear your word, Lord, and that it would pierce through any of their sin or trials, Lord, and give them hope and arresting in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going through a series of where prophecies are talking about Jesus. Uh, basically, what we're doing is forming a Christology, which is the study of the work and person of Jesus Christ. So we've been looking at different prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus' actual ministry and what Jesus actually did. So everyone knows that we celebrate Jesus' birthday on December 25th, but I don't know if you all know that my birthday is December 26th. I am literally the definition of an afterthought, okay? Let me tell you a little bit about my sad story. I always got gypped on gifts. They give me one gift and say, that's for your birthday and Christmas, but I'm like, but if my birthday was in June, I'd get a whole other gift. Like, I was really confused as a kid. Um, nobody was coming to a party a day after they all received their Christmas gifts. They just did it. Uh, no need to send an invite. They'll just tell you, no, nah, they won't even take it in their hand, right? Uh, I remember that I went for a search around the world to find out why I was born with this birthday. Um, it was a tough time for me growing up. When I was 15 years old, though, my parents, you know, they had just become Christians not too long ago. They knew a bunch of people at the church, and they figured church folk really have to come because they're church folk, and if they're going to love um, our family and my son, they're going to come to the party. So she, do, she threw a birthday, and she also invited Inner City Impact leaders. Inner City Impact is a boys and girls club that ministers to uh, inner city kids, uh, connecting them to Jesus and eventually connecting them to a local church. So they invited all the church people thinking that people would come, and guess what? They actually came. So that was pretty cool. I had like a decent party. It was like 12 people there. It was awesome. My family had five of them, but we had like 12 people there. So when it came to getting gifts, my main mentor was a guy named Dave. And I looked at the gift, and it looked like the size of a book. And I'm like, really? Like he's already my mentor and disciple. He's already been giving me books left and right. So I was like, why would he give me a book for my birth? But that's what it was. It was a book. So I opened up the book, and if a birthday party's done right, usually 
There's a time where the person opened up their gifts, opens them up in front of everybody, and people want to kind of judge from their reaction whether they hit it, you know, was it good or, or bad. Anyway, when I opened up that book, I looked at Dave, and I was like, really, man? Like, all you do is hand me books, you know? And now you're giving me a book? And I was just like, are you serious? And it was just a real funny time. But let me tell you all, the book he gave me was a biography on a missionary explorer named David Livingston. David Livingston. And his name is actually spelled almost exactly like Livingstone. So it's pretty cool that that's what we're talking about today. This book was about this famous missionary and explorer of Africa. I thought it was a terrible gift. I have to be honest. But I'm going to tell you what. I was dead wrong. My discipler, my mentor Dave, gave me an amazing, amazing gift. When I read this book, I learned many things. Here are some of them. That David Livingston was a missionary to Africa during a time where people were taking Africans from out of Africa into the slave trade. He literally was the definition of going against the grain of the culture. So right away, I started really liking that. Another thing I learned about him is he was actually a terrible missionary by some people's standards. You see, after all his work there, years and years, and lots of time spent away from his family, he actually only had one person come to the Lord in his whole time. One person. But that person that came to the Lord was a leader named Secho. And Secho was someone who devoured the scriptures. In fact, if he didn't understand something in the Bible, he would make David Livingston stay with him as long as it took way into the night to get that understanding. This man, Setra, became one of the first people that started what became the country of Botswana, which I don't know if any of you all know about Botswana, but because of the impact of David Livingston in this guy, Setra, Botswana is the fourth richest nation in Africa and in the, close to the 100th richest nation in the whole world. These Christian values ended up people living for each other, people thinking about others first, end up creating a firm root in that country. And Christianity is the norm in this nation. One thing I learned, too, is he, <clears throat> he was the first European to see Victoria Falls. When he was on his way to do that, something happened to him, though. He was bitten by a, he was bitten by a lion. And some of you all just kind of grabbed his uh, shoulder, kind of, and wrangled him a little bit, but then they, they got it away from him. But the funny thing is, is he actually died in Africa, and when they tried to identify him, guess how they identified him? By the lion, the lion bark, bite marks and how it destroyed his shoulder. He also was the person who set up the first, he was a doctor, he set up some of the first understanding for the cure of malaria, which ravaged through many African countries during that time. But the coolest thing about him, and you all see I'm excited about him, he's one of my, he's one of my favorite people in the world that ever existed, the coolest thing about David Livingston is he did something that I feel like is super Christ-like. You see, when I went to England and went to Westminster Abbey, David Livingston's body is in Westminster Abbey, but his heart was buried in Botswana. And where his heart is buried is li literally the place where they built like the foundation where he, um, they have like a center that talked about his work in there. Very similarly, guys, Jesus has done something with our heart. He poured his heart out for us here, and he did it for a reason. 
He did it as someone who was rejected, but then became what we call a living stone, capital S. He became the cornerstone. Today, we are going to think about why does Jesus, the living stone, make us as believers into living stone as well. Please join me in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. It reads, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure milk, spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Anybody who's a good Bible reader or reader in general, you know if something starts with so, you want to kind of figure out, well, so, like, so from what, like where it came from. So if you go to the verse before, this is what it says. First Peter 1.25 says, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So basically what Peter is saying is, the word of the Lord, the gospel, was preached to you. This is the good news. It was preached to you. Therefore, there's some things you have to put away. So remember, you're not only saved away from sin, you're saved to good works. So the first thing Peter is saying is, there's certain things you need to put away. First thing he says you need to put away is you need to put away malice. Malice is this idea of badness, depravity, evil, evil situations. You have, to, you have to put that away. He says you have to put deceit away. This, is, this idea here is like trickery or bait, like setting, th setting people up for wrong, fraud is probably what we would call it. He says you need to put away hypocrisy. Believers, people who have been shared, the good news has been shared with them and their lives have been changed, these are things they need to put away. They need to put away hypocrisy. They need to put away acting, putting on a show, lacking sincerity. Oh, that's a big one, lacking sincerity. Is our high really a high? Is our love really love? Are our actions built in the right thing? He says, by the way, the church he's talking to now is a bunch of churches spread out in an area. So he's talking to all different types of believers. You know what else he tells you you need to put away? You need to put away envy, any jealousy, any spite. And lastly, he tells you you need to put away slander. Any evil speech, any bike back, bike backbiting, any detraction from what the real work is. So the base, based on good news, on the good news of salvation, believers should stay away from malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And I just, first thing I thought when I thought about this list is these are some of the things that believers in general get, uh, get accused of. And so when I think about that, I think about our sin issues become a real testimony to the world. And so we need to show that there is progress and more and more moving in our sanctification towards putting these things away. But Peter doesn't tell you just to try to behave better. He says that we need to crave something. We need to, he directs us to an example. And the example he directs us to is a baby. And some of y'all are like, I haven't been a baby in 80 years. That's some of the people in here. Some of y'all are like 30, 40. But I haven't been a baby in a long time. Well, let me tell you all, I got a great story to talk to you about a baby. So my daughter, Alyssa, this is our first child. Sorry, Alyssa, it's going to happen. Our first child, when she would cry in the car because she probably needed, um, needed to eat. 
I would like clean my pinky finger and I'll just reach over the back. I don't know if y'all know this trick. I reach over the back and I just put that thing in there. And she was just, man, she was, you know, doing her thing. Then, after a while, though, she would realize that this wasn't real sustenance. This wasn't really doing anything. And then with no teeth, she tried to bite me probably or something. But she let it be known that she was not satisfied. You see, I think a lot of us do the same thing. We don't go to what the real source is. So if you're thinking about a baby and milk and a Christian and spiritual milk, that spiritual milk would be the word of God, the word of God. A lot of us in our troubles, I don't know if you're like me, but in my troubles, sometimes I feel like, man, I'm struggling so much, I don't even know if I should pick up my Bible. Ooh, but the exact opposite is what's, what should be done. When you're in your troubles, you should run to the word. You should crave the word. Say, Lord, I need help. I need your word. I need your guidance to help me right now, to save me from what I'm struggling with. Peter is speaking about the purity of the word of God and its function as the essential diet, the essential diet for spiritual milk for us. So if you think of a baby and what it needs, the word of God is to what the Christian needs. That's the comparison being drawn here. Peter is challenging these scattered believers from all over, dealing with all these different types of issues, to long for God's word. And this idea of long, anytime you have, anytime you ever have anything in the Bible that talks about desire or longing, there is a famous preacher that this is pretty much all this person <laughs> talks about, and they're really good at it. I don't know if you guys know who John Piper is. John Piper is very much into when people have a desire or a fire or a love for God, this is, this is his domain. He's really been a good, um, pretty much a, a great professor of that. And this is a quote he says. He says, he says, we are supposed to trust in God that he gives what he commands. If God says to desire when we don't desire, then we trust him that he must know something we don't know. We must have some, he must have some power we don't have. There must be a way. Start desiring God's word. So he says, God doesn't say, wait till you feel better about God's word to start desiring it. He's saying, when you're struggling, when you're, going, when you're going through a time where you don't feel like reading the word, he says, desire it. Desire it. And you might say, that takes otherworldly ability. And that's exactly what John Piper is trying to say. It takes otherworldly ab ab ability for us to obey and to desire God's word. Augustine, the great saint, said it this way, grant what thou commandest and command what thou wilt. See, God is going to command us in the things that he can provide us the ability to do. So I know some people say, well, reading the word isn't my thing all the time. I just kind of catch a verse here or there. But I want to tell you all that if my children only had a meal uh, every here and there, they wouldn't be as healthy as, as they can be, right? And so we really need to crave the word of God. The word causes us to grow in our salvation and sanctification. God is good. Crave the scriptures. I want to tell you all something. I often, and I hear Pastor Flavio as well, we all, people often talk about their disciples, like people who poured into them and stuff. But I want to tell you this. Discipleship doesn't work if the person being discipled doesn't listen to the discipler. And most good disciples will always do this. You bring up an issue, you bring up a situation, and they point to a story 
They point to a testimony, but more likely, they point you right back to that Bible. That's what every good discipler will do. So if you think about being discipled and you don't want to pick up that word or hear that word or write the word or do something with the word of God, you are not going to be a disciple that a real discipler is going to choose. Because Jesus would give something, and, and if they didn't do it, they didn't do it. But Jesus would give more and more and almost seem too much, and you would see the disciples lean on him to make it happen. So I want to let you all know that a key to discipleship is being willing to crave the pure spiritual milk called the Word of God. Join me in verses 4 through 8. Peter continues, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Notice that it starts with, this part starts with, as you come to him. Notice the connection here, what we just talked about. A lot of us, when we think about coming to God, it's usually, we would say, well, let's come to God, and you would hear the preacher or someone say, let's come to the Lord in prayer, right? But did you all know that you can also come to God in the reading of his word? It's not just prayer. In fact, prayer and reading of God's word are like real cool cousins, okay? They're real close. You couldn't even tell if they're different at times. Am I praying the word? Am I reading the word? Is God speaking to me through his word? Am I praying? It becomes joined together. So Peter says, as you come to him, the reading and studying, the hearing of God's word is considered an act of coming to Jesus. We could come to God in prayer, but we can also do that by the reading of his word. And they go hand in hand. And I just want to say, I don't know if you all have been to a prayer meeting with our spirit life ministry, but almost every time this is modeled. The word is shown, the word is um, even shown on the screen, people diving into the word, and then people praying, and vice versa, and intertwined, and that's how it should be. Right away, we hear this idea that Jesus is a living stone, and this metaphor makes the comparison directly. Jesus is compared to a living stone. So think about that stone capitalized with an S, so the living stone. And why? Why this metaphor of, of being a stone, a cornerstone, a living stone? It's a picture of how Christ and his followers are joined by God himself. Just like a building is. A building builds upon a foundation. Um, back in the day, there used to be a cornerstone. We'll get into that a little bit more. But everything started with the foundation, and it builds, and it builds upon it. That's how things are architecturally designed. And similarly, the house of God, the spiritual house of God, is built the same way. Jesus is the foundational living stone chosen by God. This living stone should be precious to the believer. To others, though, Isaiah prophesied about this, that living stone was rejected. So the very one that was going to be the foundation of what should be us 
should be believers, should be people that know God. They rejected that. They rejected that. They chose something else. They chose another stone to build their life upon. They chose a different cornerstone. And guess what's the number one choice of people if they don't pick Jesus? Themselves. Themselves. And I don't know why. When I look in the mirror, I'm not too impressed. But for some reason, a lot of people, when it comes to Jesus or themselves, they look in the mirror and they seem very impressed by their accolades and their ability. And I want to tell you now, if you're a person who has been looking to Jesus in your life, I'm sorry, if you've been looking to yourself in your life, I pray that you would change that and that you would look to Jesus, the real stone that you can build your life upon. If you have any questions about that, please see me afterwards. Believers in Jesus, one of the ways you know they're believers is they believe that Jesus is the cornerstone, foundation. They believe that you can, I can build my life, they might say. I can build my life, everything about my life, on this stone. I can build my life upon it. And I will not choose another one. But Jesus is the stone. It was rejected. He was rejected, but he became the cornerstone. Now, a little bit about a cornerstone. It was generally the principal stone. What that means is it was often put in a corner of anything you build, any type of edifice, right? And what would happen is once that was put in place, every other measurement and everything else that was going to go on with the building started with the knowledge of where that was. You all getting some of this? It started with that cornerstone. It was the base. And people often wrote on the cornerstone when something was founded or who it was built by, right? This was an important stone, the most important stone. And the Bible described Jesus as the cornerstone of the church. We're, our, our Christianity, our spiritual house, our spiritual gathering is built on Jesus, the cornerstone. And once that cornerstone is set, then everything else in your life should be directed by that cornerstone, Jesus. When it is set foundationally, you can build with other believers and you can be built within yourself to be a part of a spiritual household. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is our standard. He's our foundation. He's our measure. We could take alignment from him being the cornerstone of our life, we could take measurement and see how far, how close, how off, how, off, how on. He is the cornerstone. And the cool thing is God chose this and deemed it precious and chosen. Uh, lastly, additionally, Jesus being the living stone means that all who put their trust in the living stone become a living stone. And all these little stones, these little living stones, connected to the cornerstone living stone, become and make up believers, the house of God, a spiritual dwelling. Isn't that amazing? I just think about a kid who, uh, it, was, it was funny when Diana and I were dating, she would say things and I didn't understand it because I grew up a little different, let's just say that. She would say, oh, when, when we get married, it'd be nice to right away start saving so that we could buy a house. So then I asked her, so when you buy a house, who pays the rent? And she was like, oh, no, no, when you, when you have a house, you have something called a mortgage. I said, oh, so who paying the rent, though? She was like, no, 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 your mortgage, it has, you know, 
And she's trying to explain. I still don't understand, to be honest with you. But, but she started telling me about all these different things. You see, I didn't know anything about owning a home or being part of having a house. And I think a lot of us, if we don't turn to each other in this church family, and if we don't church, turn to other believers that we know, and we can be somewhere and be living somewhere and really not feel connected. And it definitely, you know, we've been talking about this before, but it definitely goes both ways. If you're going to sit down and wait for everyone to come after you, um, that's like me trying to play rent, <laughs> okay? It's not, it's not the right thing. What you got to do is you have to be willing to engage. You have to be able to engage with other people who are in this spiritual house, this spiritual body that Jesus has created for us, that Jesus has been the cornerstone for. Now, Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be rejected. Jesus is also seen by some. They don't see him as a cornerstone. They don't see him as someone to base their life around. Guess what they actually see Jesus as? It says they see Jesus, the cornerstone that we believe in, they see him as a stumbling block, that Jesus is going to stop them from getting where they need to get. Isn't that amazing? That could literally be a definition of a sinner who never repents. They see Jesus as a stumbling block to get them to the sin that they want to continually commit. Jesus would stop them, would trip them up. And so they reject him. So how do we know the difference between people who are being built up as a spiritual house and the people who see Jesus as a stumbling block, something that they want to get away from? Well, the first thing is, where is the trust? Complete trust in Jesus' death and resurrection as sufficient payment for the debt we owe this is the gospel. Believers in the gospel say Jesus is the cornerstone of my salvation. And then what does that do? That's just not like a belief system I just hold to as like a fact. Believers then begin to what? Walk in obedience to the word of God. So Jesus is not only the cornerstone of my salvation. Guess what else? Jesus is also, because he's the foundation, he's also my direction. So now my actions, my lived-out Christianity shows in doing good deeds. If you're a Christian and you don't do good deeds or you don't follow the commands, then you might be what, what they used to call in the neighborhood a wankster. That's like a fake gangster, right? Like you're not really about that life, you know? You're not really about what you claim to be about. And so when you believe, you actually act upon your belief. Now, the witness of the Holy Spirit becomes another thing. A life that has been based on the living stone, it changes the way we perceive the world, the decisions you make, how we perceive ourselves, and ultimately God. The Holy Spirit continually helps in the sanctification of us as we are being fitted around Jesus, the cornerstone. And one thing I love about the Holy Spirit is it brings us security. It, it brings us comfort when doing all of this stuff is a struggle. And I don't know if you've all have ever seen people build homes, but it's tough work. I've seen people do it in the hot, humid sun and temperature here in Chicago, and it's really, really hard work. And this life is hard. But I want to let you all know that Jesus is the one who has given us the ability of the Holy Spirit to bring us security and comfort as we're being built up into a, a holy home. 
Another way you could tell the difference between someone whose life is based on the cornerstone or rejecting the cornerstone, the love of God's people. Do you know how you treat your brothers and sisters in the Lord and your love for them is a great sign of how you are in the family of God? And then one that I feel like is the most important is ongoing, ongoing discipleship. You see, the believer continues to grow. In theory, in two years from now, your faith should grow, should have grown from what it is now. You guys get that? If you built up a building and then it was gone next week, we would call that a failure probably, right? But if you're being built up around a cornerstone, your life should be continually changing. That's what sanctification is all about. Sanctification is about setting apart. So in two years, you should be more set apart towards God than you are right now. Let me tell you what I think about. When I hear the word discipleship, some people might say the opposite of like a disciple or a learning. By the way, definition of disciple, a learning follower of God. Learning is, you know, continual follower, continually following, right? The, the difference between a learning follower, a disciple of God, and not being a disciple of God is one word, fan. Are you a fan of God? Like you watch him? <laughs> you follow him on social media? You might listen to some stuff he says? Like that's a fan. Like, like he's popular. And we know a lot of people in America, they're popular. Like, you know, Jesus is still popular. You can go on a website called ranker.com and people can vote and it just keeps ranking stuff. And Jesus is still, still, the, still the person. But people are just fans. And I want to tell you all that coming to church and just kind of fulfilling some duties without really having a deep relationship with the Lord and ongoing sanctification would probably show that you don't really have Jesus as your cornerstone. That you're just a really good fan. You know, you're rooting for the Eagles today, or you're rooting for San Francisco, or you're rooting for the Cubs. But, but Jesus don't need you to root for him. Jesus has saved you for good deeds. He has saved you as the cornerstone to be building a spiritual home. Last two verses, verses 9 and 10. It's, it reads, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter uses some of this Old Testament writing when he uses the exact words found in Exodus 19.6. He talks about this idea of a royal priesthood. Isaiah speaks about it as well. And remember, priests are sanctified or set apart to do priestly duties. And that's what we call them. Peter is reminding the church that every member is a valuable member. Peter's emphasizing that God's loving initiative, he's, he's emphasizing God's loving initiative in salvation. You see, God draws us to himself, and then he places us as a living stone. So it's not about like you're just part of the building. It's like God is a master builder. So where you're placed in comparison to other living stones has great meaning. So every member in this church is valuable. There's, a, there's something that God has placed you here 
or in your greater spiritual family as well, because some of our spiritual families exist a little bit beyond, you know, our local gatherings as well. But God has placed you in that, reason for, in, that, in that place for a reason. And that's why your obedience, your love for God, your growing to God is so needed. Some people in here have gone through some tough times. And you have come back. You know what? That's needed. Some people in here have gone through some tough times, and they're not going to any church anymore. People said, why did they leave Good News Bible Church? I said, well, they didn't leave Good News Bible Church. They left all church. So you think about that, and you try to think about, like, that, that means something. That's precious. That, that's hurtful. That, that's sad, right? And so what we want to understand is that each one of us is a living stone connected to the spiritual body, and we all have worth and value, and we need you. We, we need you in the Bible study. We need you at a prayer meeting. We need you to come gather. You could go home. You could stay home. You could stay away. But all these different things that are offered is because we need you. There's something that God is doing in your life that he's not doing in mine. It's just simple. It's just simple thinking. We're different. He's chose us and used that differences for that. And some of y'all say some people too different. Well, you need to get over that. Because there's a reason God has that person saved that is too different. And they're doing something that you might not ever do. And you know what we call that? We call that a win. We call that a win. We say, yes, the Lord's going to use that person. And we let that marinate. Peter is also stressing God's ownership of our lives. He's the one who chooses the priesthood. Jesus separates us from himself. He separates the holy nation. He separates the living stones. He brings them. He brings us together. He's chosen us. And what does that do for us as God's people? It tells us that God dwells among his people. God shelters them. He holds us in his hand. He sets us on our feet. He loves us with a jealous love. And he asks us to worship him exclusively. All of these wonderful riches have come to us, not because we deserved them or earned them, but because God has chosen us in his mercy and grace. Verse 10, Peter asked believers to consider life before they were saved, before a relationship with God, before being a people of God, before they received mercy. And oftentimes, when I look back at my before, even though I was very young, it often, often causes me to consider how God has been working in my life all this time. That God's grace, his unmerited favor, not treating me the way I deserve, has changed me. Has changed me. Good news. Think about this church's testimony. Think about the church family you're a part of. Think about God's intervention in our lives. This thinking causes us to do something. Whenever you start to really think about what God has done, it should cause you to want to share the good news. Share the good news that, of what Jesus has done in your life. For my application, I, I thought to bring it back a little bit to the beginning. When you have good news, no one really has to tell you sometimes to share it. It's just natural to share good news, right? Unless you're that weird person that smiles really deeply and like stays quiet and everyone's like, what's up? What is it? What is it? What is it? You know, there's people like that. But normally you would want to just tell everyone. You'd be like, I just got a new car. You know, you want to let people know, right? So this idea of sharing the good news is, yo, you have good news. 
Jesus has done amazing things in your life. Jesus has done amazing things with the spiritual family that you're a part of. We should live like missionaries. Do you all know that missionaries often consider three things? Three things before they become a missionary. One of the things they one of the things that does it is there was some Bible story or there was some scripture that they were sitting down one day and they heard this and they were pierced to the heart and they were like, I got to do something about this one. You know, they're reading the Bible verse and it just hits them. How many of you all have a scripture or a Bible verse that, that always gets you and propels you? I know I have one. I, I, I love the idea of, you know, when... When, when, in the prodigal son, when the father runs to the, runs to the kid, right, who was super off and super disrespectful and dishonored, but the father runs to him. And when I heard that, I'm like, well, you know, God ran to me when I was just in the neighborhood. I, I need to run. I need to get out here. So I said, Donna Borges, we're going to move back into the same neighborhood I grew up in. We're going to teach at a school nearby. We're going to run back into there. And I remember the person who sold us our house they were just like, so, you know, what type of area are you looking for? I said, find me a home on a real rough block. And they were like, this is going to be really easy. And they took me over to Division of Pulaski, and they did a really good job. Okay? But I'm telling you all that God has given us his word, and there's something in his word that might be like, yo, this is driving me to do what I should be doing. I, any missionary work that I should be doing. And some of us that's looks different ways. That's just the way I was built. But there's different ways that God has built all of us as living stones put together. Another thing that drives missionaries that they consider is there was some relationship. There was some brother or sister in the Lord that poured into you in a way that all you could think about was, I need to do the same. I need to do the same. This person spent all that time for me. For what? For nothing? Was it for nothing? No, they poured into you. They loved you for a reason. And you say, I need, to, I need to do this as well. And then lastly, missionaries, besides thinking and considering about a scripture that propelled them or a, a biblical relationship that propelled them, it's often there's a mission. There, there's a people group that the Lord has put on my heart. For me, it was people that grew up in the same neighborhood that I did. You know, I grew up in a gang family. What that meant is I like always stood on the same couple blocks. It was really weird. Like I couldn't cross over Sacramento or Humboldt. And there was a beach on the other side. Every once in a while I tried. One time I tried and I went home with just my swim trunks. I walked through the whole neighborhood with no shirt, no shoe. They got me. They stole all my stuff. But literally I was, I was trapped and I didn't know. But then these... There was a six-foot-six, red-headed white guy walking down my block. And I was like, oh, who's going to shoot him first, right, or beat him up? And this guy was from Inner City Impact and came to my family and said, hey, we got this Boys and Girls Club. It's on your side of town of the gang guidelines, so we were good with that. And I went in there, and everything, everything changed. You see, you have a mission field. You have a people group that you're by God's grace, that those are the ones you want to help. And so feel free as a living stone to be a missionary and to go out. We're going to finish with two quotes from David Livingston. Look at how he viewed this. He, he's, David Livingston says, For my own part, 
I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. By the way, this guy got sick all the time. He almost died all the time. His one regret was he didn't spend enough time with his family. He went through a lot of stuff. I told you he got bit by a lion, right? But he says that he felt it was amazing that a God appointed him to do what he did. He says, people talk, this is David Livingston, he says, people talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in helpful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? He says, away with the word sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege. It is a privilege to be a living stone that God causes you to act on his goodness. Look at what he lists. David Livingston says, anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger. Now and then, with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, they may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let that only be for a moment. He said all the troubles and stuff, they're real. But let it only be for a moment. And why? lost my spot. Here it is. Why? He says, all these things are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. He ends up saying, I never made a sacrifice. I just want to leave you all with this. A lot of us say we're sons and daughters of God, but I want to let you all know, know something very clearly. That God had one son, and his name was Jesus. And guess what God made him? God made him a missionary. <laughs> he left his home to come somewhere else to share the gospel as he was God himself. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your gospel. But we thank you that you are the cornerstone a strong foundation, a firm foundation that we can build our lives upon. Every other foundation, Lord, will simply not cut it. I pray, Lord, that you would put that in our hearts, put that in our thinking, that we may know that we know that we are connected to you, the true living stone, as other living stones who are being made into a wonderful spiritual house, Lord. May that be a truth that governs the way we act and live and even think, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Good News Bible Church, where we equip people to love God, love others, and make disciples. To help support our mission, please visit our online giving portal through our website at www.goodnewsshine.org.